All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Broken Axle. we got uh, myself, Steve, here as usual, the Norwegian giant Craig, and a new guest tonight, the famous Redbeard, Justin S. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. Indeed. So tonight's topic, we're talking about exotics that can actually stand up to mileage and be daily driven. Uh, off air before this, we had talked about the obvious choice a couple of days ago. So we're going to go ahead and put that one out there and then not talk about it again because it's not interesting and I don't care. Uh, the Porsche 911. Most would consider them exotics. You can put a shit ton of miles on them. We've seen 100,000 plus mile examples. Uh, assuming they didn't have an IS, IMS bearing explode by that point, it's probably not going to explode anywhere after that either. And, uh, yeah, it's the obvious choice. It's not interesting. And you get to say, I have a Porsche. Cool. No, congratulations. You just picked the Miata <laughs> in the exotic world. Yeah. Much like every other time. I mean, I, a, uh, go ahead, Justin. I mean, I actually, I don't even know that I consider 9-11s exotic, to be honest. That's also true. There are a ton of them out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they kind of fall into that like Corvette category for me because it's like you kind of see them everywhere, you know? Slightly less gold chains and white new balances, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, so comparative to that would be like the, uh, the GTR, the Skyline GTR. They're just rare enough to kind of be a head turner, but at the same time, they're super, you know, kind of like a Corvette, right? I'll be honest. I don't know how I feel about a hundred thousand mile GTR, though. <laughs> that sounds yeah, like a I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they're capable of getting there, but much past there, I don't know about. Yeah, that sounds like a transmission time bomb waiting to happen. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's like you know, second mortgage your house kind of thing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other killer, right? It's like it's not going to be a oh man, I got to put it in the shop for a you know thousand two thousand dollar repair. It's like fifty. Right, it's like, oh yeah, I'm broke now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations! Um, you could have bought, you could have bought a new Kia for the price of a transmission. Right. So um, I'd say NSXs probably fit this pretty good. First gen, and or, now, yeah, first gen well, or second. First gen is what I had in mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, a couple of maintenance items on them are kind of a bitch. Uh, I'm thinking like timing belts and stuff, but uh, I suppose one as long as it's well maintained is probably just like an Accord, right? Good for two hundred thousand miles. Right. I mean, that's my thought, right? Like change the oil and it should be fine. Uh, I mean, because really, I, I can't see how the timing belt would be any more difficult than like on an Audi or something like that, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. Also agree. Yeah, yeah, slight tangent here. I actually had to. I showed Craig a couple of years ago the uh, when Audi decided to put the V8 in the S4, and they're like, "Oh, timing belt doesn't fit up front. I've got it. We'll just use a chain," <laughs> which was cool until they decided to put the chain back by the flywheel because right. fuck everyone. <laughs> right, like that makes sense, like completely. Right, <laughs> they'll never have to work on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, until there's issues. The, uh, to bring up Audi like that, then my my little hat in the ring on this is the the Audi R8, the non V10. Although I think V10s might be somewhat decent, but especially those first and second gens getting down to about fifty sixty, 
I think that's a head turner, regardless of the fact. It might not be supercar status, but definitely exotic. Yeah. I mean, I can see that, actually, because you don't see a whole lot of those, really. No. 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 And the uh, the 4.2 liter V8 traces its roots back to the A8. They're full-size sedans. And, uh, uh-huh. I mean, they've, they've been oh. making that motor for a long time. I was going to yeah. say, those, I think, actually have fairly decent reliability, too. Yeah. yeah. I can totally see that, actually, being pretty reliable. It's a pretty basic V8. Have- it's not super high-strung. Yeah, and you got to think the rest of the car might be an issue, but most of the body electronics are relatively good, you know? Yeah, at least at the performance, I would choose like an RS5 over like a Mercedes or BMW used just because of that reason, too. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, uh, we've talked about this on air before. I have a huge soft spot for AMG Mercedes uh, just because I feel like they're the most American European car ever. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, yeah. They're big on the whole, like, uh, lightweight. No, nah, we don't do that here. Better handling. No, big power. Power. All the power. Just add more power. Right. Does it do burnouts from here until you see Jesus? No? All right. Well, it needs more power then. Right. That's it. Otherwise, boring as shit in the drive, add more power. Yeah. It works, though. Ben's is like, hey, how do we make a 5,000-pound car interesting? Twin turbo V12. Okay. Uh, With no lag, I need 700 horsepower on tap. (laughs) Right. And zero chance of putting it to the ground. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know that any of them will ever hook up. Like, oh, no. They're not running big tires. (laughs) Right. Pretty much every AMG car I ever see seems like all they do is do sweet burnouts in a straight line. Yeah. Or sometimes they do burnout sideways while trying to corner. <laughs> yeah. And sideways skid racings. And then do like eyeball flattening 80 to 140 pulls. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, it's got its place. Don't get me wrong. I love more power. How do you feel about those for an uh, uh, exotic? What would that be? The uh, SLR? Uh... So, I think the SLR gets a pass maybe due to obscurity and age. The The thing about having a used or a long-term daily drivable car is you kind of want to have a good inventory of parts. And so, like, the Audi gets kind of a pass because even though it's a unique chassis, it is shared with the Gallardo, and it does have an engine that's synonymous with four or five other models. The SLR is like a one-off of a one-off. I would almost go CL63, but that's not exotic, right? Or um, the McLaren like MP4 12C. Okay, that's yeah. definitely gonna be a if it blows up, you're fucked. The McLaren, I mean. Oh I yeah, I mean. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. I mean, how how available are parts for those? Like, I mean, I don't have that much experience with McLaren in general. But I assume it would be like finding a needle in a haystack on some of them. Yeah, that was my thought. I mean, I know the Benzes, at least from what I've heard, the AMGs don't typically suffer like hard mechanical part failures. They just get, you know, like a lot of the other high-end stuff, they get murdered by little part failures, you know, hoses, electronics, sensors, all that bullshit. Um. 
Would the same Unless, token uh, go for like the the, the Bugatti uh, Veyron in the used market? Dude, there's like no way. The parts <laughs> availability for that has to be straight garbage. I mean, it just has to be, right? <laughs> like, I've done no research on this, and I'm still willing to go on air and say that it has to be straight garbage. If there's a part, right. if there's a line somewhere for cheap Veyron OEM replacement parts, please, for the love of God, somebody send me that link. I want to see right. this. I, yeah, I just want to see it. Like, honestly. Like, Hell, I might buy some Veyron shit just to put on my wall in the garage here. Like, right? <laughs> don't, try, don't try me. Okay, so uh, let's see. NSX, R8. Those are both kind of following a, uh, a bit of a type there, but I'm with it. As far as the, you know, two-seater... Uh, old man trying to pick up a twenty-year-old style. <laughs> I mean, hey man, I gotta also, call I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's also, that's true. Like, yeah. also, Bernie has an R8. Just throwing that out there, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's I'm also once again true. asking for your support to fix my R8. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, man. the line there is, is also uh, synonymous with a, a mass parts distribution company, which is you know Volkswagen and Honda, and they use a unique chassis, but they use off-the-shelf you know parts to keep costs down. The right. I want to redirect the direction back to um, the NSX, this the third gen, I guess, is, would be the modern one. Do you guys think that'll be a hundred thousand mile like reliable Honda? Oh no way. No, I mean, I think it's way too custom for, like, for Honda in general to begin with. Um, but, like, also, as far as I know, it doesn't, like, it doesn't follow an engine family that Honda's already had. Correct. It's a bespoke engine, and it's a hybrid system. Right. And the Which two of those that together automatically means don't it's add up to a 100,000-mile car. Like, no way, no how. No. Uh, that said, it's pretty... Yeah, it is. It is good looking and it does look the part. Um, I was told that there was actually going to be a model that comes out that's going to be like the motorsport edition, which doesn't have the hybrid. It's just going to be the engine. I don't know if that's ever to fruition. It looks like sales have been really low for that car overall. Shocker. Yeah, yeah right. Like, I saw that coming. like I, th- I feel like it was the car that nobody asked for. Right. Like, like every. But I feel like the new NSX was a car that nobody really asked for, you know? Like, everybody wanted, like, the Super to come back and, you know, a handful of other ones. But then Honda was like, hey, we're going to bring back the NSX, and, like, nobody even did a double take at it. That's a fair point. Although the car itself is, uh, in a lot of ways, a lot more innovative than the new Supra, it didn't get anywhere near the fanfare. No, but I mean, you got to think. I mean, the NSX didn't have a big, big following to begin with, right? I mean, if you think of all those like exotic, not exotics, you know, Vipers, Corvettes, 911s, I mean, they have groups out there, right? But the NSX, I feel like, has always been that orphan without a home. That's a fair point, actually. That's a pretty good point. Uh, Just keep going in the, uh, you know, two-seater super dumb machines. And uh, throw my hat in the ring for one of these. Uh, the Lotus Elise of the last uh, few years, give or take. 
right? Uh, Two-seater, probably the, one of the smallest cars on the market physically. Like, you walk up next to one, they're kind of shocking. And uh, powered by a Toyota mill that I feel really good about a 2ZZ making it to 100,000 miles. Honestly, I'd be shocked if one didn't make it. Yeah, the, the biggest issues you'd have with those cars would be fiberglass and wiring. But they you do can have do those kind of uh, really stupid repair costs if you damage the clamshell on like on the front end. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that's true of a lot of stuff in that group. Yeah. As far as like hilarious bodywork repair costs. But yeah, as far as mechanical goes, yeah, I'd trust that um, almost any any Lotus that would be powered by a mill that's not Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> any Lotus with an engine they didn't build, it's probably good. Yeah. Not saying anything against Lotus, but when they do the whole outsource of engine designs, typically the car is phenomenal. Just stick to building a chassis. Yeah. Seems to be what they're good at. Yeah, leases are a little rough as a daily. I mean, they are low and uh, have what? zero usable space inside. Yeah. And they leak water. But assuming you can live with all those things. Um, what about your Aston Martin, like DB9? I've seen those go high miles, like Corvette style, high miles, but still worth stuff. Hmm. Honestly, I don't know anything about those. Uh, you got anything, Justin? Yeah. Um, so I like Aston, but don't they share like a Jaguar platform? Uh, that was also a Ford platform. Mm. To be honest, I don't know I anything just, about them. Right. So, I mean, I thought I had heard that once before. Um, and I know uh, one of the guys I used to watch on YouTube bought like a totaled one and then rebuilt it. And it actually rebuilt really like cheaply, which is surprising for an Aston anyway. Yeah. So they do yeah. seem to have a good track record as far as hard parts, you know, like engines, you know, I don't, I don't really hear about them tossing rods and just nuking engines, but, uh, I feel like yeah. they have the same problem. Most of the other Europeans do where they die by sensors and coolant systems and little shit. Right. So, uh, some quick research on the Aston Martin. They did use the VH platform, which is in conjunction with Ford and the VH platform itself was used among many, many, many years of Aston Martin. So parts would be kind of interchangeable between them. And then, yeah, you do have okay. a Ford supplier. The V12 that they have is actually essentially two Duratex nut to butt to each other. Um, and the Duratex engine we know is inherently reliable. The little sprinkly spicy bit that makes it good is that Cosworth actually assembled the engines and they did the heads. Oh, so anytime you add Cosworths to the mix, it's going to be an increase in price, but you have a pretty stout motor. I'd be willing to bet. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, it definitely makes the credit for exotic, right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but literally every Austin ever made is gorgeous. I don't think they know how to make a bad looking oh, car. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like their designers are bar none, some of the best. Hmm, that's an interesting one. I would not have thought of that. Uh, you know, shifting direction a little bit as we're going into uh, basically all of the Astons are more uh, what I'd call grand touring cars. 
than uh, than actual sports cars. Right. Still exotic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Throw on this one in the mix. The LC500 slash RCF, the big two-door Lexus coupes. Are they are they exotics though? I mean, right. how many LC five hundreds do you see running around? So I have not seen a running on the public street LC five hundred ever. I do see a couple RCFs, and it is a car that I like, but I don't classify them as exotic per se. Um, nothing exotics about it. It uses a shared Toyota platform. It has Toyota parts, and it's easily accessible for the common man. And so, arguably, I mean, they don't knock your stocks off. Uh, all right, I'm going to have to disagree there. The LC500 and RCF are, A, both gorgeous, and B, yeah, the right. current generation Lexus V8 sounds amazing. Right. I don't well, care if it doesn't make power. <laughs> yeah, they just don't go. But the whole point isn't for them to go. It's like Aston Martin. It's for the Grand Tour, which is a, it's perfectly fine in every way. But, you know, when you're saying that, hey, my base model uses a 2UR V8, that's that's a truck V8, and then they have an 8GR V6 with a hybrid system that's also shared with a couple other platforms. To me, it's just like, they're great cars, and yeah, I would trust one used, and probably will get one used, but I don't think that they're exotic. You don't think they're exotic yet. enough? Yeah. That's fair, I suppose. What's your cut, Justin? Well, I mean, like, I kind of see where Craig's coming from with that because I don't, like, I don't ever see them, but I don't know that I would think exotic when I do, you know? Like, I do like them, though. Like, I think they're fine cars, and especially being from that Toyota line, I mean, yeah, easily, you know, 100,000, 200,000 miles. Boy, nobody's scared of a 100,000-mile Lexus, dude. That's that's not even right. a thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, I mean, one I just thought of, like, what about Vipers? Do you, do you guys consider Vipers exotic enough for this? Uh, so, <laughs> I would, just because of obscurity and what it brought to the generation that they came out. And any year, Viper, I think other than the very first gens, are solid vehicles for the most part. Right. You shut um, your mouth. The first I mean, gen is a glorious expression of American awesomeness. It is, but it, it was also well, the first generation. Honestly, of... Go ahead, Justin. Um, good. Um, well, I mean, the support for the first gen, I like having a, a handful of personal experience with them, they're actually surprisingly reliable as long as it doesn't have like, a, you know, like a bearing failure or something like that. Even if it does, like it's not like that engine is unobtainium to get parts for. No, no I mean it just you might end up having to use for... truck parts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it, it's just a 360 with four extra cylinders, right? So it uses a common rod, piston, bearing. Two extra, two extra cylinders. Yeah. V10, yeah, V10. Uh, so a couple of points here uh, for the uninitiated that maybe listening to this: uh, the first generation Viper is an expression of American awesomeness sheerly because they didn't know how to do a bunch of stuff. So they just didn't do it. Uh, door handles don't need them. Don't have them. Just crawl out the window. Yep. I think they have interior door handles, but uh, no exterior door handle. Cause uh, you don't need one if you don't have a top or windows. So problem solved. 
You know, plus it's lighter. You don't have to worry about the rod and stuff in the door. Yeah, exactly. You can make the whole car lighter. Just don't uh, don't have a top and don't have windows. Problem solved. Right. <laughs> now, well, you know, kind of moving on, I think the second and, uh, and uh, third gen, right, are, I mean, they're super reliable, I think. I mean. Oh, 100%. The third gen actually became a, uh, I don't know if I'd call it livable, but it, it got a lot closer. Yeah. The third gens actually have like a radio and air conditioning most of the time. Right. I mean, I like, I know actually, uh, like one guy I'm in Tegner that daily's, um, I'm pretty sure it's a second gen Viper. Um, unless he sold it cause he kind of has auto ADHD and, you know, just constantly moving stuff. I can Don't relate. we all? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. I have a huge soft spot for Vipers of any variety, uh, just because uh, I've only driven a first gen and a third gen. I've never driven the second gen at all. I'd love to though, but uh, they have uh, a certain a raw feel about them that they were made by gearheads to do gearhead things. Yeah, I mean, especially the first gens. I mean, I don't have as extensive seat time in anything but first gen Vipers, but my seat time in first gen Vipers are bar none some of the most enjoyable seat time I have. Yeah, for sure. They're just like, raw America good. Right. You know, I mean, people talk about driver's cars. That is a driver's car. Like, there is nothing to save you in those. <laughs> also true, but it's kind of a good thing in some ways, too. Well, right. You know, I mean. Yeah, your right foot uh, is like, connected via cable directly to way too much torque. Right. And way too much torque way down low. Like, yeah. It's like uh, your right foot is connected but, to the wheel spin meter. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but one that just popped into my head, what about the, the GT40? The, like, 2000-ish era ones? Yeah. The one that's worth over $2 million now if you find them? Yeah, yeah. they appreciate it super hard. Yeah. And I, I, don't like think I, any, I don't think anybody saw that coming, the way they appreciate it. Oh no. no! I mean, were... I know I sure didn't. I mean, it's one of those things. Like, I didn't think much about them at all. Um, and seeing what they're worth now, I'm kind of like, oh my god! Like, yeah. Right. I mean, they released like in the, the low hundred. The I think they released in the low hundred thousand dollar range. Yeah. At least for sticker, I don't think anybody actually got one that cheap. But uh, I really thought after a few years, you know, uh, let them like all the other stuff like that give it five or six right. years of depreciation and that was going to be like a fifty sixty thousand dollar cool fun exotic and then that just didn't happen no it right. went straight from like oh depreciated just a little bit and then all of a sudden ford said hey we're gonna stop building this and then overnight it's one of the the fastest appreciating cars and i i saw a thing on um i think it was forbes did this about like the the most the, the best investment for vehicles and the only american vehicle on that list was the ford gt from 0405 yeah. which is insane to think about because 04 was also the year of the cobra which is also phenomenal in every way but uh yeah i just remember going to car shows and seeing you know a couple four gts not just one but like a couple and the guys were just talking about it like it was nothing and then you know boom four years later now they're just unobtainium <laughs> yeah right right it's almost cheaper to buy a new oh. Ford GT. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which I, mean, I, I guarantee you that's going mean, the same card. Too. The modular VA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, special heads, basically. Yeah. Same same bottom end, same bolt pattern, same type of oiling and cooling. Um, unique for the GT40, but it's all, it's not hyper exotic stuff. Right. Yeah. Although it didn't need to be. I mean, if you took the 5.4 Lightning truck bottom end and put the uh, dual overhead cam, good flowing heads like the 0304 Cobras had, it turns yeah. out you have a monster on your hands. Yeah, and then you add boost and, and hey, 500 horsepower is something you got to detune to get, you know? Yeah. Hey, man, so, I'm looking, uh, at, these used, I'm looking at these used Viper prices, and uh, I'm liking it. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're not for everybody. They're not, they're not as popular as you would think because a lot of people don't actually like the way they drive. Yeah. They're wrong, of course. But... Yeah. I mean, so wrong. But but like we're looking at like less than thirty thousand miles for like an 06 or 07 and that's under fifty grand. That's that's a lot of oh, car yeah. for fifty grand. Yeah, it's really rare yeah. to see a Viper with super high miles because nobody wants to put that. Like they just don't want to drive the car that much. Right. <laughs> Uh, that said, I would, uh, if I were the owner of like a second gen or even a first gen Viper, I would be that guy with a hundred thousand mile Viper. No question. Oh yeah. I mean, I would, I would drive it everywhere. I would beat it on track. Like, like yeah. I would find whatever weak point those cars had and just drive the hell out of them, you know? Yeah. Be that guy like the, like I was with my Corvette with just rubber strings stuck all over the fenders coming into work on Monday. <laughs> right. Not sorry. Still got, the, still got the sofa from the uh, the numbers that were painted on for the drag strip. Yeah, what's that all about? No, yeah. don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not sorry. And the Vipers are those cars that you can do all that with. You can go do autocross and track day and then take it to the drag strip and then go home and go back to work. Right. Especially the third gens, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, oh, and except one. for the except for the fuel mileage problem. Here's one, uh, for you, you know, it's a, a 1993 convertible with hardtop, Roadster, uh, 51,000 miles Ugh. for less than 27,000. The hardtop somebody looks bad on them. Yeah, somebody it really does. 50 without it looks 50,000 miles. It looks like a Trump. It looks like a Trump toupee. Like it's bad. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely an afterthought, right? Oh yeah. Oh no, they built the car and then somebody was like, Hey, what do we do when it rains? And they were like, Oh shit. <laughs> it's taking me out of hardtop and grafted it real fast. Right. Well no, before the hardtop they had a piece of canvas that you zippered in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like a tent. You just put a tent up over the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that was a hundred percent the engineers got done building the car and somebody was like, What do we do for a roof? I've got it. I don't know how they got away with getting sent out that way, but sweet yeah. Jesus, I'm glad it did. It's just Dodge engineering, man. Like, like they're the envy of all the car engineering world. Like that's a hundred percent fact. I mean, come on, how can, how awesome does it have to be to work at the company where somebody builds the Hellcat and next month, you know, they come down to engineering and go, "Hey guys, this Hellcat thing was cool, but uh, I need more power out of it." Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Best day at work oh. ever. 
Yeah. I mean, right. Like, I feel like every day those guys go in and they're like, what are we going to come up with that? I'm still waiting on the Hellcat charged Ram 1500. Still, yeah, still right. waiting. If anybody <laughs> dodges listening, that needs to be a thing. Oh, that contact needs me. to be a thing. I mean, contact, contact us. We have words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but that's like the Viper trucks. Right? It's, it's just like the Viper truck. No rocket science required. Just uh, take a standard right. cab, short bed ram, stuff the Hellcat motor in it, and the ZF8 speed, and then call it good. <laughs> it's right. And it's a winning combo. Put it in dealerships. Like, Yeah. Call it the little red express, paint it red, and then do burnouts for Jesus. Oh, okay, my so God. Yeah. Don't do that. that. Like, I'd have to like sell my kid or something. <laughs> <laughs> if a little red express shows up with a blower poking out of the hood, you're just going to be like, well... This is my life now. Yeah, this yeah. is this is how it ends. Like, but that's that's the audacity that Dodge is known for. You want that. You want the kids to be inspired. That's what they do. That's right. what the Little Red original was. Yeah. Right. Oh man, oh, man I'm gonna that? I'm gonna die if this actually happens in the next couple of months. Some Dodge dealer puts <laughs> together a Hellcat powered Ram. Yeah, I'm not sure about the tax, but definitely a sidestep red and short cab, single cab would be ideal. I feel oh, like yeah. you have to, you have to do the stacks, man. If you go that far with it, like you yeah. just you just have to. I mean, you have to, right? Like, does it look stupid? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but I mean, it's it's just tradition, so, so right? I mean, it's just like that is the way. It just has to happen. <laughs> this is the way. I got, a, I got a rendering for you guys and post it here. Now, Dodge oh, doesn't formally make a sidestep either, so that's kind of a, a thing they have to figure out. Yeah, well, with it. Yeah, but I that mean, needs, that needs to happen. Right. I mean, and my thing is, it's not that hard to move your, your bedside into the inner uh, wheel wells and then no. put them on the outside. Like, yeah, buckets. Yeah. Or just use the normal bed sides and put flares on it to make it wider. Yeah. I mean, that would be okay, too. Honestly, a wide-body truck. I'm yeah, kind of yeah. digging that, too. <laughs> yeah, right? Nobody's saying no here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's the kind of shenanigans that Dodge is known for. They're like, hey, I've got it. Yeah, but if we do that, we're going to have to put, like, 13-inch wide rears. And the problem is, what exactly? <laughs> right. Like... Could you imagine? It's not the first time they've put a 13 inch wheel on something. That's got it. It won't be the last, probably. (laughs) Also true. 335 in the back. Once again, not the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What about um, the Ferrari F430? It's one of the last ones you can get in manual as well. Oh. I don't know that I can recommend anything Ferrari branded. As a high mile car, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just maintenance costs, though, because, like, if I'm not mistaken, there's a handful of like Marinellos riding around out there that are fairly high mileage for like exotics. Yeah, and you know, if not for the twenty thousand dollar like ten mile services they have, like, yeah, they're fairly reliable. I suppose and, that's and- true. And that's the other thing, Stephen, is that these Ferraris that I'm bringing up, the 430, like the 360, the Marinello is a good one, the the California, none of them are the hyper-exotic, super-strung-out Ferraris 
these are all right. grand tours. You know, they're meant to be driven. I suppose. I mean, I don't know, man. It's definitely exotic. Yeah, sure. I mean, and that's the thing. I don't know how reliable they really are, right? Like, I feel like these are kind of in that range of the Viper that people that own them don't drive them, you know? Yeah. That's also true. That'd be an interesting one. I'll, uh, I mean, I'll leave it in the list, sure. So let me throw out the uh, the counterpoint to there, and uh, you guys can both just absolutely hate me because most people probably will. Okay. First, I got to put on my Hawaiian shirt, though. Uh, the C8. Oh, Jesus. Dude, again, again, is that exotic? I mean, sure, they're making a million of them, probably. I mean, am I probably going to own one someday? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. But it's so good for the money. Like, it's hard to argue. Yeah, but the deal for the money does not make that a reliable exotic because it's not a exotic. I do think it will be reliable. Corvette has been known to have nitpicky onesie twosies issues like our 911 friends, but overall, they're not complete and utter crap. I mean, I wouldn't compare it to the right. 911 trends. There's definitely not a trend of Corvettes tossing motors at low mileage. I mean, the, the DOD, the early years, they did that. They wiped cams, and all Vet, of a sudden, you didn't have Corvette anymore. Vets have never, vets have never had DOD. Yeah, I, was, I don't think vets got those. But... Well, automatic vets did, but I mean, if you drive an automatic no. vet, then you're a bitch anyway, so don't care. I'm speaking for the next <laughs> I mean, that's no. something that should never have happened. Like, I also agree. But... <laughs> well, uh, we'll take a page so, right they... here from Dodge's playbook. You'll notice that Vipers never had an automatic because their stance was uh, you can drive it like a man or just don't drive it. So They weren't, right. they weren't catering to the automatic. Oh, uh, man. Got to hope I never get into politics. This is going to come back to haunt me later. Oh, yeah. Well, in the bigger See, I don't know, because, like, that's how I feel about Corvettes. Like, I think the certain models of the Corvettes could be considered exotic, but, like, your regular run-of-the-mill Corvettes, I don't think could be. Like, that's true. Yeah, uh, so, like, so I had my ZR1. I'll make the argument for that one. Okay. Right. Yeah. The, the C7Z... ZR1 would be also that it's carbon fiber and it's super rare, right? Right. And also idiotically fast. Right. Yeah. And then it just looks, it looks much more aggressive over the base C7, which is already a great car, right? Right. I mean, it and was arguably actually, the best Corvette of all time. And yeah. you can actually and that, go beat the living hell out of it on track. Yeah. That right. Corvette's probably going to be the next uh, non depreciating. Corvette ever yeah. would be a C7 manual. Probably true. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of diehards that are not a fan of the dual clutch in the C8. Yeah, I simply don't care. Just just do what AMG does. Add a supercharger, and then you got more power than your transmission knows what to do with. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I agree with that. Like... <laughs> Craig's over here like, I don't even care if it's dual clutch. It can have a torque converter in it for all I care. If you throw enough power through it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's 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 mid-engine. It's hyper-fast acceleration for the power it already has, which is sub-500. Like, golly, man. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it worked for the uh, all the Dodges with the ZF8 speed. Those are still traditional torque converter autos, and it works awesome. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, the ZF8 is probably one of the best automatics ever built. 
That's why. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I had I had remarked on that one. Uh, me and Craig were talking about this a while back. The uh, the current generation Challenger and Charger scat packs, I think, actually drive better in every way with the ZF in them. And I never thought I would say that about a pony car, but the the auto is just better. It just yeah, works yeah. better in every way. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely not the usual, you know. Yeah. It even makes the right snarls and pops on shifts and stuff. Like it's it's just right. <laughs> right. And it's not overly also, exotic either, so it keeps the cost down. Also, right. for the guys at Dodge, uh, I don't know how they got away with the sound of the Scat Pack being a factory car, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Who signed off on I that mean, one? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, think about all those like special, like the drag pack even, you know? Like, again, those engineers at Dodge are doing something right. Like, Yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. Hey, what are we going to so do this month? Was... I think it needs a trans break, Bob. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get that together. Right, so, like, you know, a, a factory, like, harness bar, roll bar thing? Yeah, let's let's do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this brings up another point about like the awesomeness that Dodge is doing because I still think that the uh, 1320 Scat Pack is like one of the ultimate. Uh, it's a focal car, don't get me wrong, but it's the ultimate. I want to buy a car that has AC and warranty, run tens, and still go to school, right? And right. when it came out, I was like, "This is awesome," and I was waiting for Ford and Chevy's response, and we never got one, and I don't know why. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they ultimately, like Ford and GM both, tie the hands of their engineers a lot more than Dodge does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're also yeah, not desperate sure. to make money like Dodge is. Right. You know. And maybe it's the ghost of Lee Iacocca. Like, I don't know, you know. That is true. <laughs> like, uh, for the students of automotive history that weren't uh, around or didn't, you know, know about the, the time period, the first Viper came out in what could have been the worst time for a big bore sports car to exist ever. Oh yeah. Like everybody's moving to four cylinders and V sixes and gas mileage is King and Dodge is like eight liters. Motherfuckers get some right. <laughs> eight liters. are not even sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just straight up eight liters um, side pipes. What? Like, Oh, y'all wanted mileage. Uh, we have a neon over here. <laughs> and then my favorite thing with that is they put conies and a limited slip and a neon. Like, hey man, don't hate on the neon ACR, right? That was uh, <laughs> that was actually on a taping that the, me and Craig did a couple episodes ago, talking about good cheap uh, project slash track cars, and I still stand by that neon ACR. Yep, I oh, still yeah. stand by it too. We know a guy who races that down in like, uh, Georgia. It's hard to have more fun for the money. <laughs> Like, even when Dodge tries to go, like, economy, like, there you go. Like, we're going to give you a sporty model still. To be fair, right, they're not immune to having whiffs. Oh, no, no, <laughs> I mean. Caliber, I'm looking at you. <laughs> the, the travesty that was the dart. Oh, yeah, yeah. the modern dart. That's a. <sighs> I hate that they even brought that name back on that. Yeah. Like, I just... <laughs> Yeah, couldn't we just call it a Fiat? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll just name it Cloud, right? Like, it's something. Yeah. 
rounding out the topic here, I think um, what we decided is yeah, that we'll there's nothing as a reliable exotic, and if you pick up one, then you're going to have to be well mindful of the operating cost, unless it is a Lotus or something that has a conventional engine like the R8, which is on the two buy list for myself, uh, if I fit. <laughs> if I fit, always a question. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a that's uh, the the trick to a daily drivable exotic. I think Craig's got the nail on the head here. Is to buy something that has an exotic or exotic ish chassis with a uh, a drive line that's shared throughout a large model range. Mm-hmm. And then the only and, uh, the only uh, dis- difference with that would be would be something like either Ford or like I said Viper or even the, the Super Vets all those I think would be easily accessible but that's us here in the states if you're not in the states then probably I don't know 911s or Exteges up your area yeah yeah pretty much so there you go uh, if you're rich and you want to complain about the price of exotics hit us up maybe there's something we missed shoot me a line in the comments and uh, we'll address it at some point yeah, we'll let you know. Any final thoughts, uh, Justin? Uh, no, I mean, I think we tied it up pretty good there. All right. Well, you guys tune in next week for another episode. Uh, I think you're going to like it, and maybe we'll have another guest star. Until then, go bust a knuckle on something.